taste. 360 degrees, high high. 360 degrees, high high. 306, 306, 360 degrees, high high. Good evening, everyone, and Happy New Year. Welcome to Full Circle. This is your cultural affairs radio magazine, produced by members of the First Voice Media Apprenticeship Program. And today is January 1st, 2016, and is our very first episode of Full Circle of the New Year. That's right, and tonight, our entire group of producers is hosting the show together. I'm Zakia G. Capehart, and I just want to apologize for my voice. <laughs> I am actually baritone and bass tonight. <laughs> you sound good. <laughs> I'm Vika Aronson. Yo soy Josiah Luis. That's Ron Thompson over there on the phone, and I'm J.C. Howard. All a group for the Kumba Vosas is here together in one room to bring you the first edition of the Kumba Book Club. I'm sure that many of you have made New Year's resolutions for 2016. And for those who want to read more, we've got a treat for you. Tonight, we're going to talk about some of our favorite books. As well as books that we think you ought to read in the new year. We've got a jam-packed show this week. Settle in for a nice read and stay with us. Welcome back once again to Full Circle. Yes, and tonight we're sitting down for a good old-fashioned round-robin discussion of some of our favorite books and books that we think you, dear listeners, ought to be reading in 2016. Many people make New Year's resolutions, and among those are often to read more. So we thought we'd share some of our best and favorite recommendations. All of us are going to be talking about our own separate books and chiming in on each other's as well with the full conversation. This is kind of the first time we've done something like this, but we're all kind of here in the studio. And Ron, Ron's over on the phone. And I'm happy to be here. We start off tonight with a couple of recommendations by our own J.C. Howard. Yeah, I actually have two books. We had, we had kind of decided, we'd agreed that we were all going to do a book. I'm going to do two books actually uh, here today. The first book is The Little Prince. It's a book that was actually written and illustrated by Antoine de Saint-Exupéry. It's a French book. Um, the French name is Le Petit Prince. I've got it here um, <laughs> my, for my, my fellow uh, folks, of course, other than Ron, to see. Great pronunciation. Yeah, Thanks right? very much Antoine de Saint-Exupéry. You did that? that very nicely. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you very much for that, Mr. Ron. And, and actually, I also have a book called Rules of the Red Rubber Ball, which is here as well, which which I'll get to a little bit later. But first, I'm going to talk about The Little Prince, Le Petit Prince. Um, first of all, the, the basic gist of it is the prince lives on an asteroid. Um, a lot of people think that it's asteroid B612, which is an actual asteroid that exists. So the prince, he's a, he's a little boy, a child. And he tends to and falls in love with a rose that's growing on his native asteroid. But he begins to think that the rose is taking advantage of him. So he decides to leave. Um, but before he leaves the asteroid, he makes up with her. 
the Little Prince then goes to a series of other asteroids. Uh, the first asteroid he visits is a is an asteroid that no joke has a king who has no subjects. So he's just a king who lives alone on that asteroid with no subjects. But he's very proud of the fact that he's king. Um, the second the second asteroid that he visits has a conceited man who calls himself the most admirable, even though he's alone on his veritable planet. The third is a drunkard who drinks to cover the shame of the fact that he's a drunkard. Um, and he goes and visits more and more, uh, more and more asteroids and more and more planets, finds more and more peculiar um, adults that he doesn't really, uh, he doesn't really like. Then he comes down to Earth. He comes down to our neck of the woods and he meets the narrator in the middle of a, of an, uh, a desert. It's just barren. The narrator immediately takes a liking to him and he becomes a friend of him. The rest of it, of course, you'll have to read. I don't want to give away the whole plot, but uh, it's, it's a really great book. It's essentially a novella. It's, it's pretty short. It's theoretically a kid's book, but the themes are pretty deep and philosophical. Uh, so they're pretty ripe for any adult to, to read and understand. Um, so yeah, that's, that's kind of the gist of the book. And I, I heard that Josiah's got some questions for me about it. I do. It's, uh, you know, I've never, uh, I've never actually read The Little Prince, but it sounds amazing. It's one of those books that I always hear kids talking about and, uh, parents kind of, you know, buying them for their birthdays and Christmases and stuff. But the, the narrator sounds like a really interesting character, JC. What, um, what is the narrator drawn to about the prince? Yeah. Um, well, the the narrator. The, first of all, the prince really seems to kind of get the narrator. Uh, it's it's a really strange thing. The narrator in the beginning, and there's there's really great pictures in it. I'm really actually surprised, Josiah, that you haven't read this book. It's it's kind of right up your alley. I really think you should read it. Certainly. Um, actually, I think all the listeners should read it. I guess that's when we're doing the show, isn't it? Um, but the narrator specifically is drawn to uh, the fact that the prince really gets him. So the narrator in the beginning of the book, he draws a picture of a boa constrictor that's eaten an elephant. And he, he was a kid when he drew this picture. And all of the grownups that he shows the picture to, they just think it's a hat because it's like a line and then a hump and then a line. But it's it's a boa constrictor that's eaten an elephant. He shows that picture to the little prince and the little prince immediately says, oh, that's clearly a snake that's, or that's, yeah, that's clearly a boa constrictor that's eaten and digesting an elephant. Oh, they have the same perceptions of the world. Yeah. That's why they get along. Okay. It's okay. it's exactly that. Um, and, and the little prince is pretty much everything, the adventurous spirit of the little prince uh, he's everything that the narrator really wants to be, and he's everything that the narrator has always wanted to be since he was a kid. And the the little prince is turned off by uh, by all the people that he meets on the other planets. Yeah, yeah, and and it's it's actually yeah. Go ahead. Well, I was just going to say that, that, that that's that's interesting. What 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 is it about the other people on the other planets that turns the little prince off? Well. It's it's actually funny. Pretty much, it's just the fact that they're adults. <laughs> um, they're they're I, all really I can relate. Yeah, they're all really narrow-minded folks, um, and they're adults with limited scope. And and that's I mean I, I think we can all we can all kind of identify with that a little bit. Is that the thing that really turns us off about people is when they don't get our perspective and they and like especially those of us who might have a sense of adventure. Like to have to have to meet people who are closed minded, narrow minded, and they can't understand the sense of adventure. I mean, that's the number one turnoff for anybody. Definitely. Uh, what what did you learn from the little prince, JC? It sounds like you. I mean, you're obviously enamored by the book. What yeah. what what uh, 
Do you, are there some Little Prince philosophies that you've learned to live by over the years? <laughs> Absolutely. I, it, it's and, and that's what's so funny about it is it is a book for kids. Like you said, a lot of people get it for their kids, but it's really, it, it, it's kind of an adult book in the sense of it's got a lot of deep philosophies that are really important for, for all of us to kind of uh, look at in some kind of way. And, and one of them is that the Little Prince is not judgmental. You know, like even okay. when he's, even when he's let down by adult after adult. So he goes from asteroid to asteroid and every adult on each of these asteroids is a punk. Like every single <laughs> one of the adults is just a jerk. And 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 he's not like even 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 though his experience is that adults let him down time after time, he walks into each situation with a fresh outlook. Um, and he's looking to learn anything that he might from everyone. And I think that's something that I've certainly taken um, from the Little Prince is that is is to to kind of just walk into every situation fresh. Um, another thing is that he has an ever forgiving and always adventurous spirit about him as seen with the rose. So he's like going from planet to planet, but he's also like forgiving of this rose, um, that, that is talking to him and that he thinks is taking advantage of him because flowers need to be taken care of. And he just doesn't understand what love is. It's, it's a, it's a really, really great, great thing about it. Um, and, and, and the last thing is that the, the prince has, this kind of refreshing air of honesty about him. And I think that's one of the things that also draws the narrator in. Um, and, and, and the thing about it is it's really easy in a sense to be intimate with the little prince because, because he's, he's just so honest about it. And it's funny because it's, it's funny about that because I have this other book, uh, scary close, which I'm showing to you guys right now. Um, scary close by Donald Miller. It was actually the, the, the runner up book that I was almost going to talk about. Um, but I but I decided not to. But but yeah, it, 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 it specifically talks about the the about, about intimacy and about how essentially the base of intimacy is honesty. Interesting. Interesting. Mm-hmm. It's it's funny earlier. You mentioned how um, adults often end up reading the children's stories that they buy for their kids. Yeah. You know, um, what, what, what do you think the difference is when an adult reads a children's story than, say, when a kid reads a children's story? Well, I think kids read a children's story and they take it for what it is, right? Right, right. Um, but an adult reads a children's story and they like they remember. They well, first of all, they remember what it was like to be a child. So they realize I should. They an adult looks at a child's book and says, "I should have had this when I was a child." <laughs> first of all, and then an adult also has the experience. They have the experience to back up all of these all of these concepts. And the same with the Little Prince. They have the 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 the, the experience to back up the concepts of the importance of being forgiving and the importance of walking into every situation fresh and the importance of intimacy and being honest. Um, and which, which kind of brings me to that, that other book that I was talking about, the rules of the red rubber ball. Um, and the essence of the rules are meant to lead to taking an outlook of a child. So it's, it's all about looking at the world like the little prince would. Um, and it's, it's all about looking at the world like a child. Uh, specifically the rules of the red rubber ball is it kind of basically asks you, what are you, what would you do for free? Like it's kind of a career book in a lot of ways. It's a it's a kind of a sports inspirational book, but in in some ways it's a career book, and it basically asks kind of what would you do for free? Like if you could do anything in the world, what would you do? What inspires you? What brings you joy? I guess the thing that I like about the rules of the Red River Ball is that, and this is kind of the way it intersects with the Little Prince is that it has kind of this importance on seeing things like a child would. And you all know, okay, so we just got through with the Christmas season. When we were younger, that gift wrapping paper, when that was all gone, the tube turned into a sword for us, right? Like it was all about imagination. And that's kind of what 
is encouraged by the rules of the red rubber ball as well as by the little prince it's it's just this idea of when we were kids we had more courage we had more kind of chutzpah if you will you know we we had we had no problem saying okay you know what i did this i'm gonna ask for a do-over right like i mean what happened when you were playing a game and you would make a mistake you would say no 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 i get a do-over i get a redo and we were bold enough to ask for that kind of thing I, I i hate to bring another book into the mix i've brought two and then i've already mentioned another one but another book that i read by john acuff it's a really great book it's called do-over and that's kind of the point of that too is the idea of we all should still get a do-over it doesn't matter how old you are it doesn't matter that you, you know, how, how you failed or if you've made mistakes or anything like that, we all get a do-over and we should get a do-over because that's what we got when we were kids and there's no reason we shouldn't get a do-over now. And I think that's what The Little Prince is about and I think that's what The Rules of the Red Rubber Ball is about. The seven rules, uh, essentially, I'm going gonna, I'm, I'm gonna to yield my time in just a second, but um, the seven rules are essentially to commit to something that basically feels irresistible, second, to build relationships, third, for constant creativity, it's important to try to be creative, um, the, the, the fourth thing is that hard work will repay you. You don't have to worry about it paying off. It'll repay you prepare to shine in it. The fifth is to speak up and never accept boundaries and alter the course when it's necessary and to expect the unexpected and embrace it. And lastly, to maximize the day. So those are the rules of the red rubber ball. And that is the little prince. And, uh, those are, those are books that I really think that we should all read in this new year. What would you do for free? I think we all know what our all what all of our answers would be for that. <laughs> Being apprentices yeah. in the apprenticeship program. Yeah, right now it is the apprenticeship program. <laughs> um, and speaking of which, I'll yield my time to you, uh, Vika, to to talk to Zakia. Well, you know, I wanted to say before that happens is that JC, those are great books. And I wanted to add that children are so resilient. We have so much to learn from them, so much that we've forgotten. And so those books are are great choices for children and I think especially adults to rekindle some of those things that, um, that we used to do that we don't do anymore. For sure. Yeah, and I'll definitely have to check out that Red River Ball book, though I'm not interested in a sports career necessarily. <laughs> I think that could definitely be useful, and um, I know I know some really great career books, and they've they've all been really helpful to me. I considered doing kind of some a similar thing for this um, show, but I didn't. But uh, that sounds like a great book. So thanks for that, JC. No problem. That was JC Howard on Full Circle. You're listening to 94.1 FM KPFA, um, uh, as well as, or online, uh, kpfa.org. This is Full Circle. And, um, we're going to turn now to Zakia for our Kumba Vosas book club. She's going to start off by saying a few words about her book of choice. Yes. Well, um, the book that I've selected is entitled The Black Russian. It's by Vladimir Alexandro. And it's a, I think it's a very exciting book because it, it talks about a subject that we really, uh, I knew nothing about, and I'm sure a lot of people don't, um, the resilience of, uh, of, um, of black people. This um, um, black Russian was actually born in Mississippi to uh, parents that were enslaved. And his parents actually were able to uh, acquire land in Mississippi back in 1899. And as a result, 
he learned a lot from his parents because they had a lot of challenges as time evolved. Now, the main protagonist of the book's name is Frederick Bruce Thomas, and he was born in 19 and 18, excuse me, 1872. And I want to just give a little overview on the book. Please do. Mm-hmm. So Frederick Bruce Thomas was born to an enslaved parents, and they became prosperous in, in uh, prosperous farmers in Mississippi. Frederick Bruce, uh, when he left home, he actually worked as a waiter, and also he worked in Chicago and in New York. He traveled throughout Europe, and he traveled throughout many continents until he got to Russia. And in Russia, he was able to, to acquire much wealth. He acquired uh, wealth. He was able to have clubs and um, entertained um, ambassadors, entertained many people. He lost all of his wealth during a lot of the wars that went on in Russia and also the revolution. He married twice, and he also had a mistress. I think that this book, well, this book did take me on a... um, roller coaster, and it was uh, a lot of imagination on my part reading this book, and I thought that, that I would just share it with the audience. I think it's a, an, excellent, an excellent book to acquire and to, to read. Great. So I, I can start out by asking some questions. Um, so... You, you talked about how it was a. You talked about how it was um, kind of a roller coaster. Took you on a roller coaster ride, um, and sort of the, your experience of reading the book. But why uh, is is there another reason why you selected it for this show, in particular? Um, well, I selected it for the show because I think it's a book that a lot of people don't know about, and I think it's a book that um, people should know about. I think people of all cultures would be able to learn um, a lot because uh, the um, protagonist, Frederick Bruce Thomas, actually was able to learn many languages. Uh, He was able to uh, interact with many types of people, Um, and this was during a time that um, black people didn't travel as he did. And so it's really quite sensational. Uh, It's a sensational story. And it's something that I think a lot of people should know about. Right. And to clarify, this is a piece of nonfiction? Um, It is. It's a true story. Wow. That's remarkable. It actually happened. (laughs) That's that's really remarkable. And um, it is a coincidence that I would be the one interviewing you as a Russian-American born to Russian immigrant parents. Uh, We didn't plan that, and I didn't know you were going to pick that book. So that's really interesting. Um, And I really don't... I don't know the history of African-Americans in Russia from from back then. Um, and, you know, I know very little about uh, modern-day African-Americans in Russia and that experience really just from hearsay from my parents and kind of w- what they went through. Um, but from what I can tell, it's a really—back <laughs> in the Soviet Union— 
it would have been, at least back then when my parents were there, it would have been a really hard time for black people in Russia. So I can only, I can only imagine what it was like in 1872. Um, so that's kind of my two cents, but, Mm -hmm. (laughs) um, yeah, I, I guess, uh, as far as what I'm curious about, um, how would you, it sounds like, it sounds like he, he did pretty well for himself economically and financially in Russia. Um, but what were, what were his struggles? Was there something unique to the Russian, uh, experience? Was it similar to what was going on in the United States back then? What Um, was it like? Yeah, I don't think it, it was similar because in the United States, um, enslavement, um, he was, um, this first generation out of enslavement. So what was happening here, there was a lot of um, of racism um, still going on in terms of lynchings and um, and Jim Crow, it was before Jim Crow, mm-hmm. but... And stripping um, people of their land. And exactly, mm-hmm. yeah. Property. But in Russia, he said he felt very comfortable. Uh, he didn't feel discriminated against. He actually felt um, very secure and very um, welcomed and so yeah so that was that was interesting yeah and then of course you you mentioned really briefly how his life was impacted by the wars going on in Russia Um, so 18 he was around from 1872 to 1928 so he was there for like both revolutions uh, in the early 1900s and then uh like the bolsheviks uprisings and things and then i don't know if there was i don't know my russian history that well Mm -hmm. so i don't know about the late 1800s but at least both bolsheviks revolutions um so what happened there was he considered an aristocrat at that point was he taken down by the bolsheviks um well he he was uh considered aristocrat yeah he was quite wealthy uh he actually lost his wealth and he was able to gain it back again um so, yeah, he was taken down. Mm-hmm. Wow. Well, I know that I am, my appetite is definitely whetted by your talking about that book. Um, so I really appreciate that. Um, and I know that we, I'm definitely going to be uh, looking into that book and possibly borrowing it from you. So sure. <laughs> thanks so much for yeah, that. You're welcome. And thank you. And and you've got a oh, yes. song that has a lot to do with your book that you'll That's hear right. tell us a little I, bit um, about. We're going to a music break, and, and this song is actually a Russian song that's also in English. It's in, entitled the, um, the Song of the Plains, and it's sung by Paul Robeson. So enjoy. Yeah. 
Welcome back to Full Circle here on KPFA 94.1 FM, online at kpfa.org. You just heard the song of the Plains by Paul Robeson. Right now, we turn to Ron Thompson. Hey, Ron. Hi, Zakia. I uh, was really uh, intrigued by your book as well, and I was wondering if that might have had anything to do with the uh, cocktail the black Russian. At any rate, mm-hmm. <laughs> I think the cocktail is the white Russian, isn't it? Or is there a black Russian? I actually think they a... named the cocktail after you, Mr. Ron. <laughs> well, I'll have to learn from Russian. <laughs> There's actually a black Russian and a white Russian. That's right. That's true. Yeah. I'm just thinking of the white Russian from the movie The Big Lebowski. It is a white Russian, as, yeah. Early in my college days, yeah. we made jokes about that, <laughs> about sure. me being the right Russian and drinking the white Russians. So, yeah, I know that pretty well. <laughs> <laughs> right into Mr. Ron's book. Any, anyway, the, uh, the book that I uh, would like to talk about is called A Lesson Before Dying. And it is a, it takes place in... Uh, in Louisiana in the 1940s in Bayonne, uh, Louisiana. And what has happened is it chronicles the trial of a young man who uh, I'm not sure if he was kind of uh, what they would have called back then retarded or just slow or something, but of course this is uh, post-slavery, kind of a sharecropping community, and uh, a 
a young man was picked up walking to the store. This young man, his name was, uh, his name, uh, oh gosh, I can't think of his name all of, uh, all of a sudden. Anyway, the young man was uh, walking to the store, and two guys picked him up. His name is uh, uh, Jefferson, actually. Uh, and he was walking to the store, and a couple of guys picked him up, and they had been drinking, and they were going to go and get some uh, something else to drink. And they went to this, this liquor store, and they didn't have enough money. And uh, it, it happened that they started to rob this guy with this guy in there. They started to rob him of a, a bottle of wine. And the guy pulled out a gun and started shooting at them. And they started shooting back. And he killed the two guys, and they killed him. And this guy uh, didn't know what to do. Uh, it wasn't too bright. He stayed in the store too long, and he got thirsty, and he opened up a, a bottle of liquor and started drinking it. And then he got the bright idea that since nobody's here, maybe I should take the money. I don't have any money. At any rate, these two white guys came in, and so now he has this murder beef. And... Uh, he has the the irony is he's got this public defender who's defending him, and his defense is that the guy is just uh, useless. He can't think. He the the public defender actually says, "I would do better sending a hog to the electric chair than to." send this guy because he can't think, he can't figure out, he can't do anything. And the one of the protagonists in this is a teacher who has gone from Louisiana and gotten educated, but he's kind of ambivalent because he's back in Louisiana right now teaching at a, a parish school rather than someplace else in another country or another city or something. And this guy's grandmother is a friend to the this guy's aunt rather is a friend to the godmother of this guy this kid and she is struck she's just she can't hear anything she can't say anything in court she just sits there and all she can concentrate on is that this man has said that his her godson is a hog he has he's got no more substance than a hog so the lesson before dying is to get him to to gain some dignity as a man and to make it down death row. Uh, there's a lot of stuff going on in this book. Um, there's a lot of growth in terms of uh, the teacher growing, the jailers growing, the transition that happens with uh, the young man himself. Uh, because at some point he actually gets on the floor to eat the food, and, but his godmother isn't there, but he eats like a hog. There's, there's a lot of challenges. Uh, Ron, this, this um, book, um, A Lesson Before Dying, um, the author um, is, uh, what's the author's name? The author is Ernest J. Gaines. Mm -hmm. And he's also from Louisiana. Okay. So I, I was just thinking, um, I guess um, I have a 
question that I wanted to ask you is mm-hmm. why this particular novel? Um, what is it about the story that makes it important to you um, and that would make it important to uh, other people well, worth I, reading? I think what, what makes it important to me, the, rel- the relevance is the time, uh, what was happening amongst the races at the time. This this was kind of like uh, in the story To Kill a Mockingbird. Uh, you can see how people were at that time. This is a little bit earlier than To Kill a Mockingbird. But at that time, uh, like I said, it was a sharecropping type of situation. The the equity amongst people were not the same, even though uh, poor whites were not doing much better in working conditions than the blacks were. They st- blacks were still paid a lot less. Uh, the 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 inequities that are happening um, during that time, to me, would give some understanding in terms of how things haven't changed much in terms of Black Lives Matter. Uh, so that's the, the relevance of today. Yes, exactly. Mm-hmm. And the things that are going on, the the fact that this guy was tried by 12 white men mm-hmm. who weren't going to see anything anyway, there's no way that he can convince them. I, I mean, of course it's difficult. Here he is, uh, two guys are dead. He didn't think to run. He didn't. He, he couldn't talk his way out of it. He couldn't convince anyone. And there's no witness to say that he didn't have anything to do with it. Uh, but the understanding there's there's not going to be any understanding in his direction from anyone. So, and, then Ron, you think there are um, other relevant and social uh, redeeming valuables uh, to other cultures um, as well? In this I, book, I do, I do, because of the larger community, the 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 tribe, the village that happens around this young man. Yeah, th- thank you for that um, very interesting story, and I'd like to uh, read it myself. I hope that people will will take an interest, will take uh, pick it up, and at least uh, thumb through the pages. Thank Again. you. Ron. It's also uh, it's also an audio book. Oh, well, that's okay. great. And that's we also good to know. we 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 have said we might do a second edition of this, so we we might have to do this and and even pick up about some of the books we're talking about this time. Good. Again, that was a lesson before <laughs> dying by <laughs> Ernest J. Gaines. Yes. Yep, and that was Ron Thompson. And actually, we're going to pick up, and I'm going to talk about a, the book that I brought for our Kumba Vosis book club on Full Circle on KPFA 94.1 FM. So I'll just jump right in. My book that I have here, it's a graphic novel called Saga, and it was written by Brian K. Vaughn and illustrated by Fiona Staples. The way it's described is it's an epic space opera slash fantasy comic book series um, and it's published monthly by um, by an American company called Image Comics. The first issue of Saga was published um, in March of 2012, and it was sold out in the first printing of the of the first issue. Um, 
And it was also, the, so the series as a whole won a number of Eisner Awards in 2013, 2014, and 2015. And the first trade paperback collection won the 2013 Hugo Award for Best Graphic Story. So it's uh, it, it has been highly praised and um, has received a lot of accolades since it first came out in 2012. Um, and I... I uh, I have a lot to say about the book, um, and we can get into that with the questions that Ron has for me. But as for um, a little bit about more about what it is, it was actually inspired, um, a lot of people say, uh, by by Star Wars, um, which is the relevance of the book right now, <laughs> um, which we can talk a little bit about. Um, and I know that Josiah has some thoughts and feelings about <laughs> that comparison. Uh, it is a fantasy, and it is kind of science fiction, too. Um, I like that it has opera in the um, in the description of it because that kind of is reminiscent of soap opera, which it it is. It is in a lot of ways. It has the the drama and a little bit of the melodrama. Um, but what it's basically it is is it's like Romeo and Juliet set in space, and like I said, kind of uh, has definitely uh reminiscent in some ways to star wars or inspired by star wars um because of the sort of uh the the space element to it and i have in full disclosure i have to say i am not a comic book person so don't ask me to like how does this compare to batman or um x-men or like no questions about jeff Loeb and dc comics yeah no questions about that i can't i can't answer those i can't speak to that at all i'm really not a comic book person um but i do i do still want to talk about it and ron please ask me questions about it yes i was just (laughs) wondering why were you drawn to this since you're not a comic book person yeah great why were you drawn to this great question um exactly right i'm really not a comic book person or much of a graphic novel person but it's really something graphic novels um are something that are becoming more i guess more mainstream in a way and i kind of feel like it's a little bit unavoidable um like with the walking dead becoming a tv show and obviously there are plenty of other examples of graphic novels being turned into movies i i know that that's been going on for decades but i just felt like it was kind of becoming unavoidable um in a lot of ways being accepted as kind of high art and i can be a bit of a snob so i guess i i felt like i needed to start paying attention to graphic novels <laughs> and also i had been uh go i've been going through to a comic book store i'd gone to a comic book store and i'd been going through the store and looking for gifts for people and then um i just thought to myself why don't i find out from the folks at the store what they might recommend to me so i described what i could be into and the the clerk at the store said that this this book saga is for anyone and everyone and i think the i think what i told her was i don't read comic books so for somebody who doesn't read comic books and for somebody who likes who really likes fiction which i do what do you recommend and so uh, uh, the other thing that's that's really um captivating about this book and i think what is really striking to a lot of pe- readers um, is it's a, it's a super adult uh, comic book and really adult themes and adult images to the to the point where I can't even describe on 
community radio on the on the air was. <laughs> Some of these images are. It's really <laughs> a pretty explicit book. Um, and in in a, in a really striking way, like the first scene is a woman is a, one of the main characters giving birth, and then there are some like pretty graphic adult scenes is all I'll say. Um, and it's all really artfully done. Well, well let me ask you real quick, because yeah. then, would you recommend this book to, well, who would you recommend this book to? Yeah, that's a great question. So I would say I would definitely recommend it to comic book people, comic book avid comic book readers who haven't picked up this book yet. I would definitely say that they that they'd really enjoy it. It's got um, it seems like to me pretty classic comic book um, themes. I mean, and and the artwork is really it's it's just remarkable. The artwork is incredible. So um, I think people who like comic books would really enjoy it for that. And then I would say for for people who aren't um, too afraid of adult content, uh, people who are kind of intrigued by that, who like to read who um i think when i when i was a kid in school i was definitely one of those kids who like in catcher in the rye i was like couldn't wait to get to those like fun scenes um so like people who are you know not for the light the faint of heart um who who are like interested in sort of adult themes and like adult scenes and images and things like that um well you you know as you're, I hate to cut you off there. I mean, to step on you, but as you're saying that, it it brings to mind, or it makes me think or wonder how you would describe some of the more powerful or lasting images that you've uh, enjoyed in that saga. Yeah. So, like I said, there's the first, the very first scene where the main character is giving birth to the to the child of. Um, to to their child, so it's a couple. The the two main characters are Marco um, and Alana. Alan. No, <laughs> close. Okay, they're kind of explorers of the world, but or of the galaxy, but not really. So they're they're Mar- they're Marco and Alana, and they are from like I said, it's kind of like Romeo and Juliet. So they're from two warring factions of the galaxy who are having this epic. Um, this epic galaxy-wide war against each other, the winged people, and then uh, or the winged uh, creatures of one planet, and then the the horned magic folk of the the moon of that planet, and so the whole galaxy is divided, and so these are like two star-crossed lover, lovers, and the first scene is they have a baby, and then the baby is the narrator of the whole series. Um, so then her name is Hazel. Um, and she's winged and has horns. So she's like the love child of star-crossed lovers that can never be together. And so th- the birth of her birth is the first scene. That's def- definitely a really striking moment. And then there, there's this ghost character that's like severed at the, at her abdomen. And she's got like her organs are, are like falling out of her body. Um, and then there's this like spider villain, um, with that's like half naked and then 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 there are these like tv head (laughs) villains it's like it's it's really fantastical the fight scenes are amazing i mean for somebody who likes fight scenes i think they'd really enjoy it um it sounds like it those are pretty lasting images (laughs) i appreciate that so that's um that's saga again by brian k vaughn and fiona staples 
thank you Check very it much out at your local comic book store yeah thank you very much for that vika uh, we're going to take a little break and when we come back i will be talking to josiah about one of my favorite things as you all know stories He's a twistable, tunable, squeezable, pullable, stretchable, foldable man. Crawl in your pocket or fit in your locket or screw himself into a 20 volt socket or stretch himself up to a steeple or taller to squeeze himself into a thimble or smaller. Yes, he can. Cause he can. He's a twistable, tunable, squeezable, pullable, stretchable, shrinkable man. And he lives a passable life with a squeezable, lovable, kissable, huggable, pullable, tuggable wife. And they have two twistable kids who bend up the way that they did. Stretch just as much as it can for this bendable, foldable. Do what you're toldable, easily moldable. Buy what you're soldable, washable, mendable, highly dependable, bindable, saleable, always available, bounceable, shakeable, almost unbreakable. Twistable, tunable man. Welcome back to Full Circle on 94.1 FM, KPFA, and online at kpfa.org. You just heard the song, The Twistable Turnable Man Returns by Andrew Bird. And that song is off of an, a really cool album called The Twistable Turnable Man, um, which is a tribute to Shel Silverstein, which I thought would be a nice touch um, to our show tonight, we're doing a book club for 2016 recommendations from Cuomba Voces on what you should read and check out or, or reread in the in the new year. That's right. So right now we're going to pick up with my guy, Josiah. Josiah's brought two books because that's how we get down, he and I. Josiah, go ahead and, uh, and tell us about what you got. 
Gracias, JC. The one that I really wanted to recommend uh, this year was a book of short stories by a woman named Lucia Berlin. The name of the book is called A Manual for Cleaning Women. And um, that's my recommendation for the year. It's a like I said, a collection of short stories. Yeah, that's really great. And and as I've said, I really love stories and short stories all the better. Um, could you tell us a little bit about Lucia Berlin, the author of that book, or the uh, author of those short stories? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, well, sadly, this collection was released after uh, Lucia Berlin has been dead for more than a few years. She died in 2004. She's a brilliant writer. I don't know why I always have to discover these people after they're dead. <laughs> as long as you discover them, that's what matters. Yeah, that's true. Um, a lot of her stories are inspired by her early childhood. Um, Lucia moved around a lot. Um, she lived in a lot of different Western mining towns. Um, she had kind of a privileged uh, couple of teenage years living in Chile with her familia. Um, later on, she lived a bohemian life kind of wandering around and settling in places like New Mexico, Berkeley, Mexico City, uh, her stories kind of deal with her raising her young sons, uh, her life as a jazz wife and fan. It's just really interesting that they're very short, but they have a tremendous amount of power in their words. She, uh, m- a lot of her stories deal with alcoholism, um, which was a prevalent theme in her life. But um, by the 1990s, she had become sober and uh, continued to write steady. Uh, she ended up taking a visiting writer's post at the University of Colorado, where she was eventually promoted to associate professor. So, But um, just a yeah. wonderful writer. Yeah, I, I heard you mention that she was here in Berkeley. She's kind of a, a local um, staple, and, and, and I know that a lot of the time you tend to kind of draw closer to the folks who who uh, have some sort of local flavor about it. Uh, wh- what is it that you like about Lucia Berlin's fiction? What's so cool is um, what I really like about it, too, is that a lot of it is written here. Like there's uh, scenes on San Pablo Avenue and there's scenes in Berkeley. There's um, the main story, um, the title story, Manual for Cleaning Women, takes place on the 42 Piedmont bus. Um, and it's basically this uh, lady who's on the way to clean this one house and she's sort of uh, wandering. And the whole story is basically from inside of her head and she slowly starts to give um advice to other cleaning women so uh, actually i'd like to read a little little passage yeah, from that just that'd... so you can get a, a little a little uh, little feeling of her um, yeah that'd be great of her prose <laughs> but this is a uh, from manual a manual for cleaning women cleaning women do steal not the things the people we work for are so nervous about it is the superfluity that finally gets to you we don't want the change in the little ashtrays Some lady at a bridge party somewhere started the rumor that to test the honesty of a cleaning woman, you leave little rosebud ashtrays around with loose change in them, here and there. My solution to this is to always add a few pennies, even a dime. The minute I get to work, I first check out where the watches are, the rings, the gold lame, even even the purses. Later, when they come running in all puffy and red-faced, I just coolly say, under your pillow, behind the avocado toilet, all I really steal is sleeping pills, saving up for a rainy day. Whoa, that's 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 really good. She has a really um. Let's see here. I mean, I mean, it seems like these are things that that we can all kind of identify with in in a in a sense, right? Yeah, yeah. They're they're her stories are about the everyday. They're it's about everyday people and every, their everyday lives. Um, you know, like a, like I said, the nurses writing. The bus to work, the uh, cleaning women riding the buses to work. Uh, yeah, I can I can certainly uh, identify with the bus riding. I just kind of got off the bus myself. 
Um, but but the thing is, I mean, you know, I, I was talking about my book earlier was was, you know, kind of the little prince. Right. And it's about the big rubber ball, red, red rubber ball stuff. I kind of read for for escapism. Like I read to get away from things. And you're telling me that this is kind of about everyday themes. And I, like what's so cool about everyday themes? It sounds kind of depressing, honestly. Well, I, I for me, that's that's what fiction is. I I know people read fiction to escape and uh, you know magical realism. I'm a huge fan of all that. But I love writers who can give us descriptions of everyday things and describe them in a way that for us makes them seem new. You know, um, Raymond Carver was like that for me when I first read Carver. I just, I couldn't believe that there was a man writing like this. Um, and it's really strange, but reading Lucia Berlin's uh, fiction, I had the same feeling that I had reading Carver's. I mean, there was this woman, uh, she makes the everyday sound at times profound, strange, beautiful, funny, and sorrowful all at once. Um, somehow was- it's it's a contradiction but she makes all of these things cohabitate. Um, one, uh, one of my, fa- I mean, she. This is one of my favorite lines from her too. Is uh, once he told me he loved me because I was like San Pablo Avenue. Oh, that's I mean, that's really that's precious. That's beautiful, isn't it? Yeah, it's great. Or I think her, it's, uh, I love sh- uh, short stories. Oh, they're um, great. I think that there's humor. There is. I like to relax with a good book. Well, tr- also, yeah. short stories are. Uh, there's something. For me, they're more difficult because everyone, novels stretch out themes and they stretch out characters and they, they can take years and there's thousands of pages in, in the novel. You know, they can be, but a short story, a good short story writer, he creates these universes. That's right. In just a few pages, you know, four or five pages. And, um, Absolutely. And you can get absorbed. I do get absorbed oh, definitely. in it. Yeah. Like she, nice. uh, Thank her you. description of Angel's Laundromat in Albuquerque, New Mexico, 4th Street, Shabby shops and junkyards, secondhand stores with army cots, boxes of one socks, 1940 editions of good hygiene, grain stores and motels for lovers and drunks and old women with hennaed hair who do their laundry at Angels, teenage Chicana brides go to Angels, towels, pink short nighties, bikini underpants that say Thursday, their husbands (laughs) wear blue overalls with names and scripts on the pockets, I like to wait and see the names appear in the mirror visions of the dryer. Tina Corky Jr. See, it's it's beautiful. It's these things that we see every day, but some yeah. somehow someone describes them in a different way, and, and exactly. there's something else to them. Yeah, yeah. I, I think it it, ha- it has something. I don't know why, but it sounds like it kind of has something to do with the proximity of these things that we see every day, like the proximity of them to other things that we see every day. Like, I mean, it, it's funny, like just hearing hearing about you know the the. I don't know. The Chonies was the real thing for me. It's like <laughs> you like here, the Thursday Chonies. Yeah, the Thursday Chonies. Is, I don't know. There's something about the, the proximity of all these things to each other. Mm-hmm. We've got about a minute and a half left for you, uh, Josiah Luis. Do you want to tell us a little bit about Pedro Pietri? Is, well, is that his name? Yeah, one or thing I was really excited actually to announce is that when I was growing up as a young poet, one of the first poets I ever heard speaking in Spanglish, which to me was just the most amazing sound, was a New Yorkian poet uh, named, he went by the name, uh, the Reverend Pedro Petri. And after years and years and years, uh, City Lights Books has finally stepped up, uh, West Coast publishers that they are. He's an East Coast poet, but they uh, they published his collected uh, poetry. And there's a little bit of everything in there, um, including his most famous um, poem, uh, Puerto Rican Obituary. <coughs> and um, 
I just can't say enough about this man. He's an amazing Nurekan poet, and um, anybody who's out there who loves poetry, check it out. It's the uh, collected works that City Lights just released, and it's definitely worth um, worth having a look at. It's uh, and like I said, Lucia Berlin's another one. Both of these people are writers that imbue the everyday with a new meaning and uh, make us see the world in a in a new way. And they're definitely worth checking out. Thank you very much for that, Josiah. It's it, on my list. It, yeah, it, it's certainly on my list as well. Sadly, it seems as though we're drawing closer to the end of tonight's show. Before we say goodbye, though, I want to make one small correction from last week's holiday magazine show. I had given an incorrect phone number for a Liberty Christian Church, the organization that was um, featured in the the prison portion of my piece. The correct number for Liberty Christian Church is 510-324-1400. Again, that number is 510-324-1400. You can call that number to get in touch with uh, Pastor Diane Robinson. And with that, we're going to close tonight's show. And we want to thank you all for joining us for the very first edition of the Kumba Book Club from Kumba Voices. want to say... The executive producer of Full Circle is Mickey Mays. Our technical director is the one and only Free Will and Frank Sterling, and our dear Joy Moore is our production consultant. Stay tuned. La Onda Baita is next. We've been your hosts. I'm Vika Aronson. I'm Ron Thompson. Yo soy Josiah Luis. I am Zakia G.E. Capard, who's losing her voice. <laughs> That's all right, Zakia. I am JC. Thank you for joining us tonight on the first full circle of 2016. For all of us of Kuumba Voices, I am JC, and that just happened.